You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. What is the church supposed to look like? The book of Titus shows us what it means to be changed people living together in peace. Welcome to our sermon series, This Beautiful Church, Seeing and Being the People of God. Um, if you haven't been with us, we journeying through the book of Titus, um, looking at uh, a sermon series called This Beautiful Church. The last few weeks, we've, we've looked at a beautiful confidence. The first week, we've looked at a beautiful calling, a beautiful community. And last week, we looked at a beautiful commission. And today, we're landing and looking at a beautiful church. Uh, the overall point of today's sermon is that a beautiful church is a missional church. A beautiful church is a missional church. To put that a little bit differently, a beautiful church is a group of people redeemed by God who carries out God's mission. So again, a beautiful church is a missional church. And to unpack that a little bit, a beautiful church is a group of people redeemed by God who carries out God's mission. Now, before we dive in and unpack that a little bit more, I want to pray for us um, to begin um, today's message. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you thankful that you yourself are ascending God. You are a missional God. We thank you that you sent both your Son and your Spirit. You sent your son to save us, to redeem us, to make us a new people. And you sent your spirit so that we could live out on mission, that we could then carry your mission forth in this world to see you honored and glorified in every place and every time for all eternity. God, we ask that you would help us as we unpack your word this morning, help us to understand what it means for us to live on mission, to carry out the mission that you have called us to as a church. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts and our minds. You would help us to receive your word, to, to, to carry it out in our everyday lives. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this term missional can, can be confusing, right? There's, there's a lot of different words with uh, mission in it, right? You hear mission and you maybe think mission statements or you hear missions and you think world terms as they like to say the missio dei, the mission of God is that he would be honored and glorified throughout all creation. The mission of God is that he would be honored and glorified throughout all of his creation. We see this idea all throughout scripture. Psalm 22, 27 through 29, it says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. Isaiah 2.2, 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. The mission of God, or the Missio Dei, is that he would be honored and glorified throughout all of his creation. Now, as the church, God's mission is not something that we have to, like, come up with, okay? We don't have to come up with these cool slogans or ideas, right? The mission of the church is something that God has given us because God himself is already on mission. And he's simply using the church to accomplish his mission. 
I would go further to say that it is actually God's mission that even makes us a church. Missiologist David Bosch, he says, it's not the church which undertakes mission. It is the Missio Dei or the mission of God which constitutes the church. Or to put it a little differently, author Chris Wright, he says, it is not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Now, this is an important distinction for us to make because it helps us recognize that being missional is actually our very identity, right? You hear us say all the time, identity precedes function. Or to say it differently, what we do flows from who we are. Or to say it in terms that Jesus said, the fruit of a tree comes from the type of tree that it is. We don't just do mission, we are missional. A beautiful church is a missional church. That is our very identity. So what function then flows out of this identity? If identity precedes function, but there is some function, what comes out of our identity? What doing, if you will, comes from our being, comes from who we are? Looking at our text today, there's three things that a a beautiful missional church does. Okay, there's three things. A beautiful church sends the gospel. A beautiful church shares the gospel. And a beautiful church shows the gospel. So first, a beautiful church sends the gospel. Okay, we are all aware of the Apostle Paul's like legendary missionary status, right? He's the goat, right? The greatest of all time. Paul's the greatest missionary of all time. He's the Michael Jordan, or if you're if you say LeBron James, whatever your uh, linguistic um, uh, scope says, right? Paul is the greatest missionary of all time. He was a globetrotter, taking the gospel all around the world to places that had never ever heard the gospel. And when Paul establishes any church, again, because it's an identity of a church, all churches that Paul's established send the gospel. Okay, so just a reminder of the book of Titus, right? Paul has left Titus here on the Isle of Crete to put the church in order. So there's the assumption then that things are out of order on the Isle of Crete. Right? He's dealing with the people who are known for being liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Like That's what their, their own prophet said about them. That's not exactly a church that you would peg to be like a sending church. right? But if churches are missional in their very identity, then all churches, regardless of how out of order they are, should be sending churches. Because that's what beautiful churches do. So even here, this, this, this church in Crete that's out of order, that Titus is trying to put back in order, in a line with how God has created and wired the church to be, even this church is, is sending, right? Look at the text again with me, verses 12 and 13. It says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis because I have decided to spend the winter here. Some of us choose Boca Raton, you know, Paul chose Nicopolis uh, in Achaia. It, I guess that's a good winter spot, but Verse 13, right, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. 
So there's a lot of sending going on just in, just in Crete right here with Paul as he relates to this church that's out of order. Paul's sending Artemis or Tychicus, right? He, he hasn't decided yet. Most scholarship says that eventually he sends Artemis because we see Tychicus later in Paul's missionary endeavors. So Paul is sending someone to, uh, to Crete to take over this church. Titus, who's effectively the church planter, is being sent back, right? This would be like, if somebody said to Pastor James, hey, Pastor James, we're at, we actually need you to go and start a new work elsewhere, right? So there's a sending of Titus, who is the lead pastor, lead planter, if you will. And then there's also the sending of, of, of Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. They're being sent to Crete to be sent on further to the unknown world. Sending is a part of the DNA. It's the very identity of a beautiful church. Sending is hard. It requires sacrifice. But the church, is, it's merely a conduit for the gospel. The church is not a resting place for the gospel. If you remember uh, back at the end of March, one of the major world news events was the blocking of the Suez Canal, right? There was the Ever Given, a 1,300-foot boat, right? I think, the, I think next, maybe go two slides over. I found this, oh, this is amazing. This is how big this thing is. That's like a, a 3D rendering in Central Park. It's like, it's massive. It says the boat was as, or is as long as the Empire Building is tall. Like, that's ridiculous. It's crazy. It blows my mind. And this thing was logged in the Su lodged in the Suez Canal, right? It's the busiest, one of the busiest canals in all the world. It was stuck there for six days. They, they estimate at one point that 389 ships were just stuck full of cargo, waiting to go through this canal. It's estimated that $9.6 billion worth of trade was stopped because of it. The church is more of a canal than a port. The church is not a stopping place for the gospel. Beautiful churches are canals for the gospel. What happens is if we are not sending, as a beautiful missional church, if we are not sending we can actually inhibit God's progress in his mission. Now, I believe fully in the sovereignty of God, okay? Don't, don't at me about that. Like, God's mission is going to go forth without us. But there is a possibility that we can hinder God's mission if we are not sending the gospel near and far. The church is a canal and not a port. Now, when I say sending, we need to remember that it is both near and far. Okay, God may not be calling everybody to Versailles, France, but he may be calling some of you to Versailles, Kentucky to start new works. He may not be calling you to Ho Chi Minh, but he, you are a sent one at Humana. Thank you. There we go. Yeah. I got one more. Not Bogota, but Beachmont, y'all. Let's go. I got alliteration for days. But hear me, this is serious, right? If you are a saved one, you are a sent one. Let me say that again. If you are a saved one, if you have been redeemed and purchased by the blood of the Lamb, experience the grace of God. If you are a saved one, you are a sent one. Okay, some of us that means sending near, and some of us that means sending far. Now, I, I know there are families here that 
long or, or are wrestling with callings about being sent far. It's a beautiful church also shares the gospel. Now, this is a little more implicit in the text, but it's explicit all throughout Titus. If we go back to Titus 2.1, we see Paul's encouragement to Titus. But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. And then just before our text that we read today, Titus 3, 4 through 7, it says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Spirit, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. And then don't miss this, in verse 8, just after that huge gospel presentation, Paul says, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. It is so clear in the book of Titus and in the New Testament that there wasn't this dichotomy that we have between doing good works and sharing the gospel. It was an assumption that if you were a Christian and living life, life on mission, being missional because it's your very identity, just something that you do, that you would both share and show the gospel. That the gospel would be proclaimed, but the gospel would also be practiced. Those things were together. There wasn't one church on one side saying, no, just preach the gospel, and then the other church on the other side, no, just do good works. In the New Testament church, you, you just did it. That's, that's what you did together. It was both. It's both and, not either or. Now, we need to be careful, right, to say that it's, it's all word, all deed, all the time. Okay? There's, there's what's called nuance. <laughs> there's wisdom, as Scripture calls it, Right? Even Jesus, there were times when he preached the gospel and didn't do any type of service. There was also times when he did service, but didn't say a lick about the gospel that we know of, right? Go look at the feeding of the 4,000, right? But the law of averages, if you will, right? A life lived out over time. It requires us to hold these two things together. Both proclamation and practice, sharing and the showing of the gospel. Now there's that old misattributed quote, if you shared it on Facebook, just, I, I'm sorry, I'm not condemning you, right? It says, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. Aside from the fact that St. Francis never said it, it's just inherently fallacious, right? It's error prone from the get-go because the gospel is a message of words, None of you understood the gospel without words, <laughs> okay? E even even if, if you're deaf or blind, right, like you, you experienced words in some way that came into your brain and helped you know and understand the gospel. The gospel message is a message of words. But it also certainly has to be shown. Now, I don't want to project on y'all, okay? <laughs> but in my own life, I know it's way easier just to do good works and be a nice person than it is to actually share the gospel with somebody. It's a lot easier to carry my atheist neighbor's couch up his stairs than it is to tell him about the love of God that I've experienced. Is that cultural? I don't know. You know, like, 
That's my experience. I won't put that on y'all, but if you're there with me, stay with me. We need to do good things. Absolutely. Hear me. We need to share the gospel or show the gospel, right? We need to do good things for our neighbor, for our community, for our city. But we also need to share and say and tell them about Jesus. Um, Pastor Jeff Vanderstel, he, he has this book called Gospel Fluency. And in it, he, he shares a story about a woman he was interacting with in his church. This woman was, was doing great work in her neighborhood. It was one with a lot of brokenness. And she was loving folks. She was welcoming them into their home, meeting needs, all sorts of stuff that you would think of and being a really, really great Christian neighbor. Then at one time, this, this lady, one of her, one of her neighbors, neighbors came to her and asked, I, I, I just don't get it. Why, why do you keep loving people the way you do? Why, why do you keep treating people the way you do? And the, the neighbor responded, and she, this lady, this Christian lady said, you know, the reason why I do this is because uh, I'm nice. It's not so hard to be nice. Vandersell, uh, he, he kind of recounts this story in his book, and he graciously challenged this well-meaning woman in, in his words. This is what he said. God's not calling you to be a nice person only. You're the only. He's calling you to be a gospel-proclaiming person. If you tell your neighbor you're doing this because you're nice, she's not going to be convinced that she doesn't need Jesus to be different. Or she's going to be convinced that she doesn't need Jesus to be different. She can live a nice life without Jesus. They don't need nice, they need Jesus. If you give them nice, you're going to ask them to try harder to be different people without giving them the source that actually changed you. It was Jesus that changed you. If we were to give somebody a car because they needed to get somewhere and we gave them an empty car, it's like, what use is that? The gospel is the very fuel for our lives, church. We don't need to give people less than the fuel that we have been given ourselves. Now, one of the things that I've realized in my own life is in terms of sharing the gospel, right, this, this scary word called evangelism, is really I've overcomplicated it, right? There's kind of two ideas that I have in my mind. One, when I share the gospel, I have to give a theological treatise for every sticky point of Christianity that's been lodged in the last 2,000 years of it. That's one extreme, right? Amen, right? It's like, well, what's the problem of evil? It's like, oh, what? Talk about that later. The other extreme is uh, like if I don't share a complete like four point presentation of the gospel, like four spiritual laws for my crew folks, but a complete presentation of the gospel, including time of response. You have to give a time of response. If I don't do all of that, then, then I'm not sharing the gospel. I just don't think either one of those are true. Right? Like if some people can define the gospel as Jesus came to save sinners, and that's a gospel, like how is that not sharing the gospel to tell that with people? Furthermore, I really think what the gospel, what presenting the gospel, what sharing the gospel is, is sharing God's truth with people when you can, to the extent that you can. 
think we've overcomplicated the gospel. Sharing it is simply sharing the good news of God's grace and truth that you yourself have experienced. So how do we do that, though? Like, what, how do we actually share the gospel with people? I think there's, there's three steps that you can at least start to think through. One is to pray for opportunity. It's weird, but God answers prayers. How about that, right? Like, it's crazy, but literally, God will answer your prayers if you ask him for opportunity to share the gospel. He will. Maybe, maybe for you, it's a step further back. Like, God, will you just help me know my neighbor's name and meet my neighbor? Like, that's a really good next step. But pray for opportunities. I'm fixed gold, so often I pray, God, will you give me an opportunity and make it abundantly clear? <laughs> Like, put signs up for me, you know, get the, uh, the landing strip guy at the airport who's, like, waving me in. Like, make it clear, because I am dense, God, but please give me opportunities to share my faith with others. Second is looking for opportunities, right? The illustration that Pastor Jeff Vandersell gave, I think, is a good one. If somebody says to you, like, why are you so nice? Holy smokes. Like, that, that one's on a T right there. You know, line that up and rip it to right field, right? Like, look for opportunities. God has given us opportunities. And if you're praying for them, like, be on the lookout. Watch for them. And then thirdly, I know it's hard, but be obedient in those opportunities that God gives you. No matter what, sharing the gospel is an act of faith. It is stepping out. But if, God, if you've prayed for opportunities and God's given them to you, if you're looking for opportunities and you're seeing them, like, can't we trust that God is going to come through somehow or do something if we're obedient to share with others? A beautiful church is missional, and being missional means we share the gospel. Lastly, a beautiful church shows the gospel. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. It says, Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Paul tells Titus that a beautiful church is devoted to good works. Again, being devoted to good works is not an either or on gospel proclamation and gospel practice. Those things go together. And this is the exact same phrase that we saw earlier in Titus 3.8. Remember this saying, the gospel saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Again, see this connection, church. It's doctrine and duty go together. They're directly tied. It's our teaching and our living, our, our doctrine and our ethics. They're, they're linked and they can't be separated. Now, we need to look at this verse closely, verse 14, because Paul very explicitly is saying that by meeting physical and immediate needs of other people, we actually help ourselves learn how to, be, how to be devoted to good works. So in life, right, like this is, this is a known thing. You, you practice things to get better, right? If you take 100 shots at the elbow, you're going to get better at your elbow jumper, if you knit, whatever people knit, I don't, uh, uh, oven pot warmers, I don't know. If you knit a pot warmer or a pot holder once a month, like you'll get better at knitting, right? Any knitters, is that so? Or does it take like two, two pot holders a, a month? Cool. All right. It's fine. It's fine. They don't all land. They don't all land. That's cool. <laughs> Guys, 
if we practice things, we get better at them. That, that's true, Paul is saying, of your spiritual life. <laughs> if you practice reading your word, you get better at reading your word. If you practice prayer, you get better at prayer. If you practice sharing your faith, you get better at sharing your faith. This connection here, we can't miss. Paul says, if you practice meeting the pressing needs of others, you will learn to be devoted to good works. Our capacity to bear fruit is tied to our capacity to meet urgent needs. It's not the only thing, but it is a thing. Now, what's beautiful is I'm encouraged to see that we, Sojourn Church Carlisle, we're doing this, y'all. I've seen us meet like financial needs for families in our church. Praise God, that's a beautiful church. I've seen us feed like 50 plus families over the last year through our food pantry. Praise God, that's a beautiful church. I've seen us go out in the neighborhood a couple weeks ago, yesterday with our deacons. We got another chance May 23rd to show our neighbors that we love and care for them. Praise God, that's a beautiful church, y'all. But we still got to practice it, all right? We still have to keep going. If, if you think about a tree, right, as a, as a tree continues to grow and a tree continues to produce more fruit, more things come to eat off that tree. Y'all, y'all tracking with me? Right, so if we as a church continue to bear f- beautiful fruit, if we grow and we produce more and more fruit in our lives from this place, from these people, more needs will actually come up with it. But that's beautiful. That gives us a chance even more to press in, to meet urgent needs, as Paul says. A beautiful church is missional, and being missional means we show the gospel. Now, as we draw uh, this book to a close, we see Titus 3.15. Now, this isn't a throwaway verse, right? Some of y'all, y'all probably, I mean, we went, we read Titus 3.11, and it was like, oh, good, the sermon series is done. They're not going to talk about 12 through 15, right? This isn't a throwaway verse, right? By no accident, Paul ends the letter with what he started with, and that's God's grace. Titus 3.15, it says, grace be with all of you, with the whole church, with all y'all, is what he's saying. Not just Titus, but all y'all. This is the same grace that Paul expounded upon in Titus 2, 11 through 15. If y'all remember, this is what the grace of God does for us. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed to hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works, eager to send the gospel, to share the gospel, to show the gospel. That's what a beautiful church does. But it's not in our own strength, guys. The grace of God is our very fuel It's the very thing that changes us and then moves through us. Remember, the grace of God, as we see here in this passage, it instructs us. It empowers us. It redeems us. It cleanses us. And I would dare say, maybe most importantly, it makes us a part of God's family. 
We, we are a beautiful church because of God's grace. It's a beautiful church. We are missional. Those things are a part of our very identity. By God's grace, my, my hope for us is, as, we, as we walk away from this series, especially, specifically this sermon, is that we would remember that a beautiful church is a missional church. And a missional church, one who is joining God on mission, we send the gospel, we share the gospel, and we show the gospel. My hope is that we do this near and far, in South Louisville and beyond. Every week when we gather together, church, we celebrate a meal called communion. And this meal, this meal is an opportunity for us to remember God's grace towards us. It's a rehearsal of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has saved and redeemed us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I ask that you abstain for this meal, not because we're trying to exclude you, but this meal is for those who are about the reality of Christ, as Scripture says. But if you are a Christian, I encourage you to participate in this meal with us. If you'd like to participate, there should be individual communion elements in the pew back in front of you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, as he was sitting around with his disciples, his closest friends, the ones he was training up to take over and live out his mission here on earth, he had a meal with them. On that night, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Let's take and eat the bread together. At that same meal, Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take and eat, or take and drink the cup together. Church, the Apostle Paul, he says that as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're pronouncing Christ's death until he returns. So even this very meal of communion is a, is a part of being a missional church. It is a gospel proclamation that we're taking part in when we take this meal. So we move towards um, contemplating, towards celebrating what God has done on our behalf. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.